0: Let's look at the book of Micah a little bit. Um, It's one of those books that's helpful for you to find it before you announce a passage in Micah that you want to read in a sermon. Uh, That should be a little embarrassing, but uh, it's really a fine book. This is probably kind of a weird observation, but you know, there's a number of minor prophets, 12 of them, uh, as a matter of fact, and I would call Micah the most typical of all the minor prophets. To me, Micah is just a very normal prophet in terms of just the kind of the things that it does and so forth. And I think it's, it's uh, just really uh, a very helpful book, a lot of really uh, good things. Um, and the first verse, which kind of gives us the introductory material, the word of the Lord, which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Joseph, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now look at the things that you see about the context, even from this verse. What's the source of this message? The Lord. This is the Lord's message. This is not some man's political observations or comments or something like that. This is the word of the Lord. and So that means we give it careful attention. Who is the one that the Lord used to write this message, to speak of? Micah. You don't know a whole lot about Micah from this passage. What do you know about him? He's from Moresheth. Moresheth uh, it was a city about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem in the foothill region of Israel. And uh, the word Micah means who is like Jehovah. Uh, So that's that's really what you know. And there's a lot of things you might like to know about Micah, like who his parents were, you know, what his occupation was, you know, just different personal things. But it doesn't really matter because this is the word of the Lord. I mean, God just used Micah as the instrument. So, So God doesn't see fit to reveal those things. He does, though, tell us the time frame. What's the time frame? The kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Yes, which puts that in roughly the same time period as which major prophet? Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh, And there's a lot of parallels between what Micah says... And the things that Isaiah said. Some very close parallels, but you would expect that. They're writing at the same period of time. God's got a similar message for the people. Now, which kingdom or kingdoms does Micah prophesy to? Judah? Judah. Samaria? And Israel, yes. Jerusalem and Samaria are the capital cities of Judah and Israel. So really, Micah's message is for both northern and southern kingdoms. But these kings, he mentions, were from which kingdom? Judah. Judah only. Maybe because the northern kings of this period were really were not even by God's approval. They were just assassinating each other to become king. There was not a whole lot of uh, organization about uh, that. Um, and generally, this is the waning years of Israel. They're not doing well at all. And um, in in Judah... You have some better kings and some worse kings. In the three that he mentions here, which one was the worst? Ahaz. Ahaz. And that this seems to have been more, you know, Ahaz as being the middle one, probably more written during Ahaz's reign, where there's a lot of corruption. You definitely see that reflected in the book. So uh, that's what I know about the introduction to Micah. Do you have any questions or comments or things you want to? talk about in connection with uh, this book? Is <coughs> Micah so mentioned in any other place? I mean, besides like quoting? Mm, I think not. He's mentioned in connection with the quotation of some of his stuff in Jeremiah 26. But as far as I know, I don't think there's any other mention of Micah. Anybody know of any? I do other questions are coming it was uh, Israel taken away I mean the time frame of this have been right around 7 even beyond that so was Israel even <coughs> well yeah there. good question it depends on when in these uh, the reigns of these kings that he prophesied Jotham no uh, Jotham was before Israel <laughs> Ahaz and Hezekiah probably had a co-regency and it was during the time that both of them were reigning that Israel was taken into captivity so we can't really prove yes or no evidently I would say not or at least not for the most part because he is prophesying to both Samaria and Jerusalem so you might say you know maybe some of the prophecies were after that but at least some of them were before that other questions or comments? Okay, let's get into what he says. Um, and, um, you know, some of these prophets really start out with a bang. I think you'll see that here. Uh, 2 to 7.
1: <laughs> Hear all you peoples, listen, O word, and all that is in it. Let the Lord of Lord, Let the Lord God be the witness against you. Let the Lord from his holy temple... From behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split, like wax before the fire, like waters poured out or poured down a steep place. All of this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? And they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it for the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. Verse 2. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Now, there are
0: times when you read books like this that there are actually some things in the book that help to structure it. And I think this phrase does. Hero O peoples, all of you, look at 3-1, hear now, heads of Jacob, and look at 6-1, hear now what the Lord is saying. I think there are three basic divisions of, of Micah Uh, that that each of them starts with this phrase to hear and that means chapters 1 and 2 are together chapters 3 to 5 and chapters 6 and 7 in each section it starts with prophecies of judgment and ends with prophecies of salvation after the judgment so you've got judgment and salvation judgment and salvation Judgment and salvation. Now, the salvation sections vary in length greatly. But that seems to be the general structure of Micah. I like knowing things like that. I mean, that would be really important for uh, understanding the book. But he's asking the peoples and the earth and everything in it to listen as God presents his case against his people. The earth is almost like the jury or the audience before which God is presenting his case. And to do that, look at verses 3 and 4. The Lord is coming forth from his place. Imagine God coming forth from his place. What would his place be? Heaven. So he's coming down from heaven to intervene in history... And he actually comes to where? To the, what part of the earth? The mountains. the mountains. Now, would we have to come down <laughs> to step on top of the mountains? <laughs> We'd have to go up. But God's way above. So he comes down and he treads on the mountains. And what happens? they melt melt. he must have really uh, hot feet I mean that's just really a powerful image They, they melt like wax before a fire they melt like water poured down a steep place I mean God's so powerful that when he comes to intervene in the world the whole face of the planet is changed nothing can endure the wrath of God, not even the most solid features that the earth has. It's just an image of how the Lord, when he comes to judge, I mean, he devastates everything. So he comes down, the mountains melt, the valleys split open. Well, why is all this happening? This is is a very uh, powerful beginning to Micah. What caused this? sin. This is God's response to sin. And it, you know, the the Israelites would not be surprised at the fact that God would come down to punish sins. In fact, they wanted him to. Except, the sins he was punishing this time were whose? Theirs. Theirs, yes. You know, sometimes we're like the Israelites. We want God to come down and judge the world. I mean, all my, you know, I've got all kinds of neighbors and there's just wicked people all around and we and, and really want God to judge them well I wonder if God ever looks at us and say yeah I'm going to come down and judge alright and you may be the, uh, the, the focus of that this would have been quite a shock to the Israelites it's for the, the sins and the rebellion of his people um, and, and he speaks of, of the high place of Judah probably their idolatry especially and he said, i just going to make Samaria a heap of ruins. Uh, which is what he was going to do very shortly with the Assyrians. And just, just, you know, wipe her out. And look at verse 7. What was he going to do with the idols and the images? It's
1: going to be burned with fire and rain desolate.
0: Exactly. Now, think about what the Israelites were supposed to have done when they entered the land of Canaan to conquer it back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7 as God gives them instructions in Deuteronomy 7.25 the graven images of their God you are to burn with fire in Deuteronomy 9.21 uh, they, they were to take the calf uh, they, they did Uh, and burned it with fire and crushed it and in 12.3 he says you shall tear down their altars smash their sacred pillars burn their sharing with fire what God said when they came into the land destroy burn wipe out the idols and the images guess what instead of doing that they made their own if they're not going to do it God did it himself He came in, in the process, he punished them and destroyed them as well. But if they had failed on their basic mission, they were supposed to transform the land of Canaan into a place where God was worshipped. Instead, they they added to the idol worship of the Canaanites. And so God would not put up with it. He was going to destroy the idols and them too. Comments and questions on this uh, powerful introduction to the book of Micah. what's the part about they shall return to the pay of a harlot yes I think he's talking about to the Assyrians the Assyrians you know they used it for immoral purposes and so all their stuff was going to go to an immoral nation the Assyrians that were coming and destroyed they probably take them to their own temples their own idol temples or whatever Other comments and questions? Alright. Now, the next section is going to sound um, not very exciting to us. It will be eventually, I hope. But (laughs) what happens in some of these prophecies, essentially, is something that would would be very powerful to us if we lived in Canaan. You know, what if I said, I was a prophet, and I said, um, you know, there's going to come terrible devastation against the Western Hemisphere. Well, that, that would probably not be something you'd be happy about. What, I, what if I said that the army's going to come in, and it's going to get Greenwood, and it's going to get Plainfield and it's going to get Shelbyville, it's going to get Columbus, it's going to get Lafayette, you know, and so forth and so on. That gets your attention a little bit more? Yeah, you know, you hear about tornadoes in the Midwest. Doesn't mean nearly as much as you hear, hear about a tornado that ripped through Mooresville, or whatever. You know, when it's when it's close to you and you've got a specific place associated with it, it's much more vivid. Now, If they're talking about places in, you know, Japan, you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. You don't know anything about those places anyway. That's kind of the way this is. And so, um, remember that as we read this. This would have been more vivid to them than to us in that sense. But he's also, he's really playing on the names of these towns. Almost all the towns that he's going to mention here were, I think, in about a nine-mile radius of his hometown. At least the ones we can identify. And in almost all of them, he does a pun. Puns don't translate very well from one language to another, but we'll kind of work on those a little bit. So, would somebody read 8 to 16?
2: Therefore I will wail and howl, I will go stripped and naked, I will make a wailing like dragons and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah, he is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Declare, declare ye not at Gath, weep ye not at all, in the house of Ephra, roll thyself in, in the dust. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having the shame naked, having thy shame naked, the inhabitant of Zan, Zanan, come not forth into the morning of Bethesel. He shall re- receive you of his standing." For the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down on the Lord, came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. Thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot and the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Therefore thou shalt pr- give presents to Moresh, Moresheth Gath. The houses of Achiz Akzib, shall be a lie unto the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Marashah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Make thee bald, and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as an eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. Okay. In A, what is he to do? <coughs> the
0: man? In 16 what does he say to do same thing and he uses various traditional uh, demonstrations of mourning now there's some things we do to show that we're in mourning we're not big on traditions and things like that but there's a few things that you might identify with mourning especially if, what would you identify with somebody who's in mourning how could you look at them and tell that's what we really associate with mourning, is black. Well, they associate with mourning things like making themselves bald, and things like, uh, you know, being, going barefoot, and, and, and things like that. It's kind of images of, of grief. So he's saying, grief, this is a terrible, terrible thing that's happening. The prophets, when they prophesied judgment against people, Against their own people. They didn't gloat about it. It wasn't like they liked it. They weren't filled with the spirit of revenge. They're just prophesying what God says. And they they grieve over it. It hurts them to know that their people were going to suffer in this way. So their wound is incurable. It's come to Judah. It's reached even to, to Jerusalem. So the judgment wasn't going to stop with Israel. You know, it was going to come right up to Jerusalem. Now that really should remind you of something. Because Who conquered Israel? Assyria. Did they stop with Israel? What did they do? They continued on.
2: They laid siege to Jerusalem. Yes. uh, Well, 185,000 of them were killed
0: by an angel overnight which was the only reason that spared Jerusalem according to Sennacherib's annals he'd already conquered 46 cities of Judah and Jerusalem was the only one left so that's exactly what happened, it didn't stop with Samaria with Israel, went right on into Judah, it was terrible so look at verse uh, 10 tell it not in Gath weep not at all, Gath Think thing about Gath. City, in Philistia. City of the Philistines.
2: Is that one of them that was wiped out at some point? Or?
0: I don't think that's the point here. Tell it not in Gath. Mm-hmm. Which is where Goliath is from. But I to remind you of something. And do you understand why he's saying don't tell it in Gath?
2: Well, wasn't Gath pretty much non-existent at this point? We don't hear any more about it after...
0: A certain point after a certain point but not but it still was existent at this point he said the same thing didn't samuel he yes that's interesting this is not the first time we'd heard that expression in 2nd samuel 1 you remember what happened to saul and jonathan and saul's other sons Uh, Except for for ish And in 2 Samuel 1.20, tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. And he goes on to say why. For the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. So why not tell it in Gath? Because they will be happy about the destruction of God's people. Think of the disgrace and shame when the enemies find out that Israel's been overthrown. Don't let the Philistines know. It just, it, it illustrates the, the, the shame, I think, the embarrassment, the humiliation factor in this uh, for God's people. And just it reminds you of the destruction of Saul and his family. It's another deep disgrace for God's people. So he says, don't tell it in Gath. I'll pause here for a moment before we go into these town names. We're in Micah one ten. Uh, comments and questions up to this point. Okay. Now, um, there's debates about the exact meaning of some of these names. And some of them It's the meaning of the name, and some of them it's what the name sounds like. But essentially, Bethleafra means basically house of dust. So he says those who live in the house of dust are to roll themselves in the dust. And then uh, Schaefer means like pleasant town. Well, he says that the pleasant town is to endure the experience, unpleasant experience of shameful nakedness, and then Zainan means like come out city, and he says they don't go out. They won't go out. They won't escape. So the inhabitants uh, of come out city won't come out, and uh, then Bethesel means something like house of protection. And what's he going to do to Ezel? Take away, take, away. take away the protection. Yes, he's making puns on the names of the cities. The word, the, the city Marah, means something like bitter town, and they're going to experience a bitter judgment, a calamity that's come down from the Lord. And uh, then he mentions it comes to the gate of Jerusalem. That goes right back to what we were saying the Assyrian army got right to. The Gate of Jerusalem. Remember how the, the Syrian officials, the Shaka and so forth, threatened the people right there in Jerusalem's gate, said they better just surrender. They knew what was good for them. And then in 13, he mentions Lakeish. Uh, Lakeish. There's some debate about this, but possibly means something like Swift Beast Town, and they're going to have to harness their chariot to team of horses to flee because Lachish was the beginning of sin. I don't know for sure why, all, why he says that. Uh, and then he says, talks about Moresheth Gath, uh, which was, I think, the town that uh, Micah was from, and it means like bride town. And this bride town will be given as a dowry, as a parting gift to the uh, enemy. Akzib, means Deceit Town. Deceit Town will become a deception, become a disappointment to the kings of Israel. And then in 15, you've got Mereshah, which sounds something like Possession City, but they'll be taken possession of. And uh, what does he say would finally happen to the glory of Israel? Where will it go? Now, what do you remember about a That's a place that ought to ring a bell. Does it? Yes, the cave where David fled from Saul and drove in. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's along about uh, 1st 7 22 or somewhere like that. But uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's just the idea of fleeing into a cave to try to escape. But it's interesting that the section of town names. Start right before it is a reference to David tell it not Gath and right after it a reference to David fleeing to Adulam see a lot of symmetry in this section in fact you got to really be careful to count the towns and not other things here but if we count the towns of Samaria let's count them Bethlehephra I'm starting in 10 Shaffer, Beth Ezel. No. Marath, you got five, then you got Jerusalem. Then you've got Lachish, Morshet Gath, Azib, uh, Mereshah, and uh, Dulam, you've got five again after Jerusalem. So you see kind of a, a symmetry, you know, in this whole passage. Starts with weeping, then with a reference to David, then with five Samaritan cities. Jerusalem, five more in Israel, reference to David, and grief. Uh, so, uh, it's it's just it's just making this very vivid and graphic for them, the destruction that's coming. Comments and questions? Okay. It could
2: the be, uh, Beth, Aphra, and
0: the uh, Beth could those be plays off of Bethel, or are they separate Beth means house of. So, so they were separate cities. They were separate cities. Yeah, lots and lots of Beth cities, right? Uh, don't ask me about all of them, but I remember Bethel, Bethlehem, or some other Beth cities. Bethaven, Bethaven yeah, the the play on Bethel. You know, probably some others, but Beth means house of, so that's that's why that's a compound. We'd have, we'd have lots of, um, you know, Minneapolis and Indianapolis and Annapolis and so forth because polis in Latin is city, something like that. You know, so we do that kind of stuff too. are questions and comments on this section? Okay. Alright. Chapter 2.